and welcome back to the Eccles Business Buzz podcast. I'm your host, Francis Johnson, and I'm so glad you've joined me today as we continue our discussion of the experience of women in the workplace, especially here in Utah. In a recent study published by WalletHub, Utah ranked as the worst state for women's equality. Utah was ranked last for women in education and health, and 49th in both political empowerment and workplace environment for women. The study also found that the income gap between men and women was worse in Utah than any other state, and that Utah is seriously lacking when it comes to women in executive leadership positions. Here to help us make sense of the numbers and to paint a picture of the landscape for professional women in Utah and beyond are Susan Madsen and Nubia Pena. Susan Madsen is the founding director of the Utah Women in Leadership Project and the inaugural Karen Haight Huntsman Endowed Professor in Leadership at Utah State University, where she teaches in the marketing and strategy departments. Nubia Pena is senior advisor to Governor Spencer Cox on equity and opportunity. She is also the director for the Utah Division of Multicultural Affairs, whose mission is to promote an inclusive climate for Utah's growing diverse community through training, outreach, and youth leadership development. She has spent years working as a community organizer, advocate, and ally for systemically marginalized populations. Susan and Nubia, welcome, and thank you so much for being here today. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for having us. Well, Susan, I want to start with these statistics. What are we looking at here and why are things so hard for women in the workplace in Utah? Great question. As you had mentioned, we do rank as the worst state and have so for nine years for women's equality. And a lot of those metrics are women in the workplace, but we also really struggle with things like violence against women. And sometimes people say, well, that doesn't have to do with the workplace. Actually, when you've experienced sexual assault, sexual violence, domestic violence, any of those things, it all comes together as as your experience of how you show up as women. And so we have unique challenges, you know, as women in the workforce. And more conservative and religious states tend to have more struggles. We rank, you know, worse on not just the wallet hub, but other rankings. There's an underlying sexism issue that women in all countries and all states face, but in more conservative religious environments, that sexism is stronger. Any culture where men should do this and women should do something so different, not just in the home or in church settings or community, but it really does show up in the workplace. And at the Utah Women and Leadership Project, we've collected data for many years in different ways to actually not just the ranking but hear from women and their lived experiences. And not all women face the exact same thing. But what we know is that these rankings align with women's experiences. And so that's what we're trying to do. Nubi and I have worked together for years on this, and we've published research at the Utah Women and Leadership Project. And things are hard for many Utah women. In fact, some of the women said it's everyday sexism that they feel. Frances, you may have seen my article a month or two ago telling us the update of where we're at on women's equality. And 
have gotten a lot of pushback and other articles say, no, it's okay. Women's experiences are fine. Women are fine. I will say, I love being a woman. I love living in Utah, but things are not fine. And we need to figure out how to change it. And it's been long enough that we need to move quicker, faster, and more bold, right? Well, Susan, I'm so glad you mentioned that this is really a complex issue with a lot of layers. We're not just talking about what is my experience, my isolated experience in the workplace, but we're talking about how do my experiences in my home life, in my community life, maybe in my church life or my spiritual life. These are all interwoven components that are contributing to a lot of these statistics. And we know here in Utah, nationally, that a lot of these are amplified for women in particular who are marginalized in other ways, maybe because of their race, their ethnicity, sexual orientation. Nubia, can you talk to us a little bit about that? How is this experience of sexism and difficulty in the workplace then amplified by these other marginalizing factors? Yes. No, thank you so very much for unpacking, right? The fact that women are not a monolith. And whenever we engage in these conversations, we have to make room to understand that the stats that Susan referenced are oftentimes compounded when we think about women who exist in the furthest margins. So traditional status quo business culture has real and tangible effects on women of color. So for example, there was an article in the Harvard Business Review that talked about how Native American American women suffer from one of the largest pay gaps. Black candidates are more likely to be rated as unprofessional when they use natural hairstyles that can include locks and afros. Research also shows that employers are less likely to hire a Middle Eastern woman who wears a headscarf. Latina women are twice as likely to say that they must work twice as hard as their co-workers because of their cultural background, which can include the stereotypes of speaking with an accent. And Asian American women are often considered less fit for leadership due to the stereotypes of Asian women being less assertive. In addition, we see how being LGBTQ, older, cognitive and neurodiverse can be challenged or seen as not fitting in with the traditional embodiment of executive management. So all of these barriers are very tangible, very much present, and create significant stumbling blocks for women in the workforce, particularly when we're thinking about those that exist at the margins. Thank you, Nubia, for bringing up these additional statistics, because I think What it shows is that we're not talking about something that just happens sometimes or something that just happens with a certain type of person, but we're actually talking about societal, cultural, institutionalized, and systemic stereotypes, misperceptions, and isms, right? Racism, sexism, homophobia, that these things are occurring on an institutional level to really make an uneven playing field for people who exist in those marginalized groups. I think companies and businesses do have the opportunity, though they are sometimes a very traditional capitalistic environment, that they do have the opportunity to lead out on some creative solutions to address these issues that can then trickle into 
their communities and spread beyond there. Nubia, talk to us about these structural or institutional changes that companies could make and can make and should make to really be at the forefront of addressing this kind of inequality. Yes. No, thank you so much for that question. And I do want to acknowledge that we have companies, especially here in Utah, that are actively and proactively engaging in these discussions about culture, climate, hiring practices, and employee retention in ways that I don't believe we have ever seen before. And I know that I can speak for Susan and I, we have loved reading through the applications of the 100 companies that are championing women in Utah. This was an initiative that came out of the governor's office of economic opportunity where we wanted to help tell the story of companies that truly care about their employees, their workforce, and they are thinking dynamically and innovatively around how do we retain talent so that we don't lose them to a different state, we don't lose them to a different company, but that in fact, we are thinking about our holistic and diverse workforce and investing in them. So this includes thinking about working parents, non-traditional students, people re-entering the workforce after taking a break to raise their children, our veterans, new Americans and refugees, folks with disabilities, and people across across the age spectrum. So companies in Utah are really thinking about the bottom line, which has to be mindful about policies, strategies, recruitment, promotion, and it is a top-down, bottom-up analysis. And as Susan and I continue to discuss the benefits of these changes, we know that for us to see transformation across industries for women, companies can engage in thoughtful strategies that allow them to understand areas of growth and inclusion. They can do an in-depth analysis that is anchored in understanding the system barriers and institutional practices that are keeping people from thriving in their workplaces. So I created the opportunity framework for our team that follows a three-pronged approach, which is data-informed, opportunity-driven, people-inspired. And by using the data to understand employee climate, culture, and satisfaction, we can then identify the gaps that may cause us to lose great talent to other companies. And those gaps would then be turned into opportunities so that we better serve our employees, which are our most important assets. So again, we really want to tell the story of Utah that while we know that there are challenges. We also know that there are some great successes coming out of our industry and corporate leaders. And we know that Utah is probably and most likely in the next five to 10 years going to be leading for being some of the best and family-friendliest corporations in the nation. One thing that came out earlier this season was this idea that a corporate culture is going to be created no matter what. So the question is, do you as a corporation or as a company engage in that really thoughtful, strategic building of the culture that you want? Or do you kind of just let it happen? And I love these ideas that you've given us, Nubia, of how to be just very thoughtful and strategic about what information do I have? What information do I need? How do I use even kind of bad news (laughs) potentially to create opportunities for growth within my company and for my employees, all, you know, always driven by our human capital, which is our greatest asset. But certainly to that point, companies can't force employees (laughs) 
to behave a certain way or think a certain way or be a certain way. They need all of us to be invested in these strategies as well. Susan, I'm hoping you can talk to us a little bit about it from the sort of personal side. What can we as women in particular do in our workplaces to make sure that they are inclusive environments for everyone? Thank you for that. I have a couple of thoughts. Well, first of all, when you're talking about culture, I've taught organizational behavior classes through the years. The culture is invisible to a lot of people. And when it comes to a gender and especially women, it's pretty invisible to men. I and, and some women, I should say, right? And so through the years, I've had some of our tech CEOs, I've talked to them and they've said, we're hiring women, but they don't stay. We're telling them they belong, but they're not staying. I'm like, describe your culture. And they're like, what, what do you mean? And then I say, tell me about your compensation package or how you, you know, encourage your teams and management training and all of that. And then they get done and I'm like, you've just described a masculine culture. They're like, what? It's like a fish in water, right? <laughs> it's the air we breathe. I'll tell you what's fun. And Nubia and I have been, I've talked to business leaders and interacted for so long through the last few years. It is so fun to see some of these awesome men and women leaders start to get it and then go deeper and then see more things. And so I wanted to put that out there. And then also, when we look at challenges with culture and with getting to the leadership roles and so forth, there are really internal and external challenges. And when you ask, Francis, about what can women do internally, ourselves, learning more about these issues, with learning more about culture, learning more about, even if it's not our experience as women, the things that happen to women, all of a sudden you see things differently. But then it's not all about us. How do we lean in? How do we help our males become male allies? That's a real hard and critical and important piece there. But it's not all about us women leaning in, but it's about those systems and processes too, even things like changing job descriptions so they're, they're not too masculine and not just feminine. But I designed and taught for a few years an executive MBA class at Utah State University on inclusive leadership on inclusive environments. And I will tell you one of the first things I did with this group of mostly men, mostly white men, first of all, you don't shame and blame anybody because we're all learning and we all have biases and we all on and on and on. But I gave them some well-designed unconscious bias training, three hours, interactive, no shame and blame. And I'll tell you, that opened their eyes to thinking, wow, a lot of what we do is unconscious. We don't see it. And unless we start understanding that maybe we are biased, maybe we are sexist, even as a woman, we can be sexist. And, and when people say, I'm not racist, actually all of us are racist in some way because it's so much is unconscious, right? So that's an important thing that we can do. Also, Lean in as women if you don't have an ERG, an employee resource group for women. And then welcome men into those. Step forward to have leadership. But one more piece is then don't just do a side women's network. 
connect with your leadership team, align your goals with the goals of the company, be strategic, help your leaders understand how important this is. And I'll tell you, there's numbers, there's research, there's the business case, it's on and on that when men and women work together in more equal numbers on teams, in leadership roles, in the C-suite, on corporate boards, so many benefits for the teams, for the individuals, for the communities, but then in society as well. When you learn things at work, it, you take them to your home and family and your congregations and your community. I think this is such an important point that we can't do our work in isolation, right? We can't, as you're saying, Susan, say we have this great women's employee resource group and we're all creating our echo chamber, you know, (laughs) taking our opportunity to say, oh, it's so hard and no one understands. But the importance of then making that connection to, okay, now that we have this energy and this synergy with each other, how do we turn this into tangible change for ourselves and for our organization? Well, Nubia statistics like these ones can be kind of discouraging, right? Sometimes it's easy to dwell on the bad news Change can feel like an uphill battle. We've talked about some great things happening with companies in Utah and the excellent work that they are doing, work that the two of you are doing to really shine a light on these challenges and work towards really cross-industry, multidisciplinary solutions. So it's not all bad news. But Nubia, I'd love to hear from you What makes you optimistic about the future of women in the workplace? Thank you so much for that question. And really, it's it's such a privilege to work for the Cox Henderson administration that has made inclusion and making sure that we're representative of our constituents a priority. And I think it's so important that we're mindful that this is not about us versus them, right? The women in the workplace and those that are choosing to stay at home. Our desire in championing the beauty of all of these pathways that can create thriving for women in the workforce and women to choose to stay at home is the value of choice. And as we partner with our corporate leaders, with our legislative sector, when we're thinking about all the people that are needed really to create the type of state where there is an abundance of opportunities, there is something that many of us know, which is called the Utah Way, And we think differently and out of the box. And we want to consider the people who want to have a part-time job, but still access benefits or the people who want to stay at home, but then afterwards re-enter the workforce. We are reimagining what our labor force looks like because the needs are different. And because we have champions and leaders at the helm that care about every person that calls Utah home, we want to challenge the status quo of what the workplace is like. And so I'm deeply optimistic because we're working with partners at the University of Utah's Eccles Business Center, with frontline leaders, with resource groups, with policymakers, with researchers, right? There really is no shortage of individuals that are committed to making Utah more accessible. And that is also making Utah the place that is family friendly and champions the entrepreneurial spirit. And so I think there's a lot of hope. There's a lot of beauty. There's also, of course, our youth. 
And that's something in our program that we're deeply passionate about is developing the next generation of leaders. And this is where anyone that is on the front lines engaging with our young leaders, they have a chance to show them a different model so that by the time they do enter the workforce in the next five to 10 years, they have already been in some ways normalized to this notion that we are better together that difference is not something to be feared, but in fact that every person that has a different experience, thinks differently, has a different way of approaching a problem and engaging in solutions is adding a beautiful piece to the puzzle that makes our picture complete. So let's not forget about the fact that we will one day pass the mantle to those that are coming afterwards and we can start to model for them what it looks like to challenge the scarcity mentality, to grow the table, to pull more chairs to it, and to invite people to share in the innovation and the redirection of how we develop a culture for our organizations that values every single person there. Can I jump in here? I love what Nubia just said. And I think one of the things that that I wanted to just make sure and say is that so many of the things, especially around the workplace of women and girls and so forth, is captured in a new movement in the state of Utah called A Boulder Way Forward. And Nubia and I are leading that. And that really is, we are down in the rankings, the worst day for women's equality. We have high levels of violence, different kinds of things. And the research can be discouraging. Yet we have this Utah way of people wanting to be engaged and learning and growing. One of the pieces of A Boulder Way Forward that we have some great leadership with the Women's Leadership Institute, the Governor's Office of Economic Opportunity and Pluralsight is about these organizational strategies and the workplace culture. And I will tell you, Utah is unique and the leaders of this spoke, we're calling it in a bolder way forward, are looking even differently than other states. For instance, there are so many women who want to work professionally, but want to work part-time. That is unique. And so we're really the leaders in that spoke and another one on workforce development are really working on helping companies understand that women can work part-time and really contribute and it can benefit everyone involved. So I would just offer that as a way to think a little bit differently here in the state of Utah, that it's not either or. It can't be and. So we can choose to, in my case, I was a mother and I have kids and now I have grandkids and I can work, but maybe it's not all or nothing. Maybe it's this and working part-time and doing this or that. That might be a little more unique than other states. So I wanted to put that in there. There are organizational strategies that have been found in the research that other states are doing, but we want to say, what does this look like to support Utah families? Utah women, but also Utah families, right? Nubia, I love the word that you used, abundance. And Susan, the word that you used, not an either or, but an and. That as we think about outside of the box, what more is available to us? We don't have to just exist in these traditional tracks that we put people into, in a traditional model that we put businesses into, but it's an opportunity to really think 
innovatively and creatively about how do we expand opportunity for everyone. That abundance mentality, I think, is a great way to shift our thinking and to unlock some real creative ideas, some really creative ideas that not only benefit individuals, families, communities, but also it shouldn't go unsaid, benefit the bottom line, right? I now have access to a whole new pool of really dedicated, competent, loyal employees who are going to bring their own creative thinking and innovative problem solving to my business as well. So getting rid of that scarcity mentality and really thinking, how can we do more How can we give more? How can we create more opportunity? I think is such a great way for all of us as individuals and as organizations to approach this question of how do we create more inclusive, welcoming places of belonging for everyone. And and Francis, I use the word scarcity and abundance often, but in something that we haven't really talked about too much here, and that is, you know, I use it in different settings, but one is that we can lift girls and women, especially this conversation, women in the workplace, and as men, we can lift girls and women, and it doesn't take away from men. We're not trying to lift in the work and the bolder way forward that we're using. We're not lifting girls and women at the expense of boys and men. And so I I just wanted to put that out there. But abundance says we can lift and be lifted. But the other piece that I think is super important is that if we don't have men and and becoming male allies in all of this work, we're not going to make organizational changes and improve cultures to be more welcoming and to be places where more women can thrive. So the work on male allyship is absolutely critical. Thank you so much for bringing that up. I think that reinforces kind of what we were talking about a little bit before, which is we can't just get a bunch of women together and say, all right, how are we going to solve this huge generations long systemic problem and not include People currently in leadership, people currently creating culture, inviting them in, hoping that they invite us in and really working on the solutions together. Well, and I'll just say, Francis, I mean, I think that Susan and I can both share at some point, right, that some of our biggest champions and mentors have been men. And so we cannot discount the power of having men believe that this is their initiative, but just similarly, we should also consider that there are some real challenges that men are going through right now that our young boys and men are navigating. And so to what Susan just shared, it doesn't have to be an either or, we can champion a thriving Utah and think about the various gaps that exist for each community and really work collectively towards making this the best state in the nation for the people who call it home. So again, let's think outside of the box. Let's be strategic. Let's quiet the noise around the divisions. We are stronger together. We are better together. We are more, we're more strategic together because each one of us, again, has that missing piece, that element to make that picture complete. So thank you, Francis, for letting us share about that. Well, thank you. And I think this really reinforces one of the Eccles School values and something that we've been talking about a lot this season, which is we call it empathetic global citizenship. 
And this idea that as we bring people into our cause, as they invite us into the rooms, the tables, the discussions where we might not have always had a place, as we really strive, work towards these kinds of connections with people who are different from us, who have different perspectives, different lived experiences, different circumstances, different challenges, different strengths, that we develop as a result of that, this sense of empathy that allows us to see things a little bit more broadly than we did before. And that is what prompts us to really work towards these inclusive spaces that can provide a sense of belonging for everyone. Well, ladies, to finish us off today, I would love to hear from each of you If you think back to the start of your career, or if you think of these great youth leaders, which I'm so glad you mentioned, our young people, students at the Eccles School, our young alums starting their careers, I think so much of this positive change is really being driven by young people and the expectations that they have of us and the ways that they expect us to show up and to let them show up. So thinking of them or thinking of yourselves at the start of your careers, I would love to hear one piece of advice that you wish you had had or one piece of advice that you would give to our young women, young girls, men and boys, starting school, entering the workforce. Susan, let's start with you. Thank you so much. I would give two quick ones. One of them is try and get out of not thinking on the either or, but think of and. So we, since we talked about that, I thought I would throw that in. And then the other thing is that we have so many women in the state of Utah that have no clue what their talents, gifts, and strengths are. They've been taught to not acknowledge and talk about those gifts and strengths. But what we know from the literature and what I wish I would have even done better earlier is to own those and to let those guide purpose and calling in earlier years and not shun away from those, but say they were given to me and I need to use those gifts and own those as a woman to be able to help lift other people and serve in ways and make money in ways. But we know from the literature that 30 to 40% women more than men are connected to purpose and calling. And the research says if we know our gifts and talents and strengths, we can better find that purpose that drives our head, heart, and hands in powerful ways. Thank you so much. I think purpose, finding the place where me personally, where I can make the biggest impact in the area that matters the most to me is such an important piece of the puzzle. Nubia, from you, a piece of advice you wish you'd had or a piece of advice you'd give? Maybe they're the same, maybe they're not. No, they're definitely the same. You know, I really appreciate that you mentioned purpose and calling. I would say have compassion for yourself. I think as women, we are so prone to be compassionate with others and extend a kind word and extend grace, but we are deeply critical of ourselves. And so learning to love ourselves recklessly and to know that we have value and worth and to recognize that we have unique gifts and talents that cannot be compared to another individual because they are not us and we are not them. 
And so learning to find your own path, believing that you have been placed here for a reason and that you have something magnificent to give this world. So absolutely, I think that we need to champion our young girls, our boys, our children to learn that early on because I think that the stumbling blocks on their path would be less because they would know that they have not only the strength and the grit, but also the community that will help clear them as they move along. Well, I think this is all just excellent advice that we can all use wherever we are on the path and whoever we are on the path. Susan, Nubia, it's been such a pleasure having you here today. Thank you so much for joining me and thank you especially for this open and honest conversation. Thank you for having us. Thank you. And thank you for joining me for this episode of the Eccles Business Buzz podcast. We'll be back next week with another great discussion about both the challenges facing women in the workplace and how we can all be part of the solution. I really hope you'll join me. Until then, you can follow us on Instagram at Eccles Alumni for all the latest news from your Eccles Alumni Network. Until next time, Eccles Business Buzz is a production of the David Eccles School of Business and is produced by University FM.